this morning going just a little bit back in the Gospel of John chapter 10. John 10 verses 14 through 16. John 10 verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The title of my message to you today, you see, is The Green Pasture of God's knowledge. And we will learn today at least a little bit about God's knowledge of us. And then we as his sheep, Jesus tells us we know him and we can get to know him. In John 17, 3, it's going, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, this is eternal life that they might know you, the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom we have, uh, who, who you have sent. And this knowledge of God is our green pasture. There's nothing but blessing in it. And so we should seek to know God better and better and know also that he knows us uh, and not just knows us in the fact that he knows all about us, but he knows us in a way, if we are his sheep, that means he loves us and cares for us and watches over us. And so we have a personal relationship with God. And this is shown in this picture of one flock and one shepherd. Our shepherd being the Lord Jesus Christ. The flock being all Christians, all true believers uh, from the time of Christ even to today. Uh, he knows us all. He knows every one of us. And so this is where I'll start. Point number one, the knowledge of God. The knowledge that Christ has of us is wonderful. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. As the son of God, he knows us with the knowledge of God. He knows details about our life. Uh, Jesus says in John I mean, in Luke 12, 6 and 7, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Meaning God keeps track of each and every sparrow. And then he says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We sing that song sometimes. His eye is on the sparrow. Meaning God is watching over that sparrow. He's giving him food to eat. He's caring for him, providing, providing for that little sparrow. But also it says, and I know he watches me in that song. In that song. He knows the number of hairs on our head. And this is just a sample of his knowledge. It doesn't mean he only knows the number of hairs on our head and he doesn't know the number of hairs on our arms or hands or anywhere else. He knows everything, every little detail about us, not only those things that we might count uh, insignificant, but he knows the important things. He knows our thoughts. He knows the things uh, deep inside of us 
the hairs on the head example is just Christ's example to tell us he's caring for us, he's watching over us, he knows what will happen to us. He knows the bigger things, Psalm 139, 1 through 6, and I could have probably gone further in this psalm, but it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off, meaning he can see what we're thinking before we think it. Uh, you comprehend my path, my lying down, are, uh, and are acquainted with all my ways. You know, our bad habits are good, the good things we do. He, he knows them all, all our ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. We can't attain the knowledge that God has of each of us. Uh, or, or even if we got to know each other intimately, we would never know uh, each other like God knows us. And even ourselves, we don't know ourselves as well as God knows us. He knows according to uh, Psalm 139, our movements, the way we go, our thoughts, uh, my path where I am going, my lying down where I am resting, all my ways, meaning when he says all my ways, meaning every single one of them, uh, he knows it. My speaking, my words, he knows. And as, as the psalmist says, this knowledge is above us. It's too wonderful for us. Not only, though, does he know good things about us, which we would be happy that he would know. He knows our sins and our sinfulness. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart in Scripture referred to that inmost part of us. It wasn't, you know, we think of the heart as a seed of emotions, but for the Hebrew and for in Bible times, the heart was that inmost part of us, who we really were inside. And he's saying this part of us that is the real us is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And when he says deceitful, it means our own hearts will trick us. They deceive us. We oftentimes think we are better than what we are. Uh, and we need, to, we need to check that. I remember when I worked, when I was in seminary, I worked for a place called Steel Services. And one of my jobs there was to put chains on you know, long pieces of steel so that they could be lifted up by a crane into a, tr a back of a truck. And there were all different sizes of steel. You know, some of them were over a ton per foot, huge steel. Others were smaller, and you know some involved different things you did. And I usually had a partner with me. And it was funny because my partner, he was more experienced at this. And uh, sometimes you know one of us was closer maybe to the middle of the metal than the other, and that person would estimate where the chains would go. And we put it on the steel. And I thought it was really, uh, funny of my partner, every time I estimated and it was wrong, 
and he was going to fix it, he fixed it a long way, assuming my error was a big, big error. But whenever he fixed it first, and he was fixing his own, he'd fix it little by little. Because every time he thought his own error was a small error, <laughs> it was nothing. And you know, it, was, it, it almost bothered me. He kept judging me that way. I was always going to make a big mistake, and he was always going to make a little mistake. But sometimes we look at ourselves that way. I've heard that even murderers, when they're in prison, they don't think themselves as bad as the other murderers. Mine was, do they have some kind of excuse that they tell these? I'm not, I wasn't really this. But God sees our hearts. He's able to judge perfectly. That's what it says in verse 10. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God is able to see our hearts and he's able to judge perfectly. But though he knows our weakness, he knows our sins. We also see in scripture, he is ready to forgive. It says in Psalm 103, 12 through 14, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our, trans uh, he's removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. He pities us because he understands uh, how weak we are. As our good shepherd, Jesus knows us as his sheep. And it means he distinguishes us from those who are not his sheep. Uh, if you've been following me at all the last few weeks as we've gone through John 10, uh, last week, or the two, two weeks ago actually, we talked about those who were not his sheep. And a good part of John 10, Jesus is actually talking to those people who were not his sheep. They were not going to get any of the benefits uh, that his sheep would have. They were outside of this green pasture. They were outside of eternal life. And it says so much in, in Psalm 1-6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, does that mean he does not know the way of the ungodly and all? No, he, he knows it perfectly to judge it. But what he's saying, he knows the way of the righteous, it means he knows and cares about us. He's going to help us along on that way. To the unrighteous, who think they know God and Christ, hear what Jesus will one day say. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And here's what Jesus says to them. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There will be people in the last day who thought they were doing great things for Christ. Maybe they are ministers in churches. They are evangelists. They have great crowds following them. They do even miracles or cast out demons. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. They were deceiving themselves. They thought they were Christ's sheep. They thought they were following him, but they were wrong. 
How does God distinguish those who are his? Well, when we look at scripture, we see there's a Jacob and there's an Esau. And one seems not to care about his birthright, at least not until it's gone. And the other, by deception, gains the blessing. And you say, could say, well, they're both sinners. They've both fallen. Uh, they, neither one deserves to be blessed. But in Romans 9, 11, 10 through 13, it says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who wills. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. God knew Jacob. God had mercy upon Jacob. God brought Jacob along to where Jacob was blessed exceedingly, but it says Esau I hated. Saul and David, how does he distinguish between these two? Saul is not obedient. Uh, he spares King Agag when God told him to kill all the Amalekites. Uh, yet David sins as well. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, uh, murdering her husband Uriah. And yet Saul is rejected. And yet David is a man after God's own heart. David repents. David comes back to God after he fails and is a man after God's own heart. Judas betrays Jesus Christ. Peter, though, also denies him three times, denies he even knows him. And Judas is damned. But Peter is a disciple. Uh, it's, Peter writes later in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be sure you're one of his sheep. Make every effort to make your call and election sure. He says in previous in that verse, he says, add to your faith knowledge and to your knowledge uh, this and this and this and this. Uh, we are to grow in the Lord and in our knowledge of him. And, and that's how we make sure we are truly his. Secondly, it is in this distinguishing sense that we as sheep also know the shepherd. The sheep are distinguished like Jesus does from the goats. Uh, those who are his, like Peter, is distinguished from uh, Judas. Uh, David is distinguished from Saul. Uh, and also, those who know God, his sheep, know Jesus is the shepherd. He's the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way uh, to heaven but by him. We don't know God or Christ in the way he knows us, that's for sure. It says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I shall know just as I am known. We don't see God perfectly, at least not on this earth. Uh, we, we, we kind of strain. We learn about him in scripture. We, we pray for that knowledge. We pray that the Holy Spirit would make God more and more real to us and the things of the kingdom would be more, more and more real in our hearts. But we see in a glass dimly. 
We have temptations all around us that would uh, take us away uh, from learning the knowledge of God. Uh, yet, so we have to focus to, to know him. But as sheep, we know our shepherd. It says in John 10, 14b, and am known by my own. Jesus is telling us that his people know him. They follow him. They are his sheep. They know him. We hear his voice and we know his voice. John 10, 16 says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. When he talks about sheep that are not of this fold, he was speaking at that time only to Jewish people because his first calling was to, as it says in Romans, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And when he says not of this fold, he's talking about us who are not of Jewish descendants, but we are still his sheep. We are still part with him. And even today, to this very day, there is one flock and there is one shepherd. We are part of his flock. We are his sheep just as much as the Jews were of that, of that day. We are his. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Every time before I pray, uh, you know this, I pray not only that you hear my voice, which is something, uh, but not much, but that we'd also hear the voice of Christ and the voice of his spirit speaking to us. Because he says in scripture, my sheep hear my voice. And he says, uh, all through the book of uh, Revelation, when he's talking to the seven churches, one thing he says to each of the seven churches is, he who has ears, let him hear. But the Spirit says to the churches. And the Spirit, that's after Jesus had died, after he rose from the dead, after he's communicating to John. He's telling those churches, and I believe they represent of all churches, hear what the Spirit is saying. And so as I preach, the Spirit can communicate through that word. Even when I believe when we're just reading the Bible, uh, at home, God can speak to us through it. Uh, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit speak to us in that way. We know his voice and his words because they are God's words. And there is nothing else like them. Jesus uh, asked the twelve, he says, Do you also want to go away? This is in John chapter 6. He fed the 5,000. Uh, all his disciples, it said... Well, not all of them, but most of them left him at that point. They were his disciples. They were learning from him. They expected him to do great things. They wanted him to give them more and more bread like he did in the miracle, and he refused to do that. He said, I am the bread of life, and they refused to understand, and most of the disciples at that point left him. And he says to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter saw something different. He wasn't looking for more uh, fish sandwiches. 
He was looking for eternal life. And he knew Jesus had those words. He saw what Jesus wanted him to see. He heard the the preaching that Jesus wanted him to hear. And he also says, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And for all the mistakes that Peter might have made, he was right about a whole lot of things too. And we can make many mistakes and we can fail and, and we can falter, but we are his sheep and he knows us and we know him. Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, Peter questions. Peter rightly implies there's nobody else to go to. There's no other way to find eternal life. He says, you have the words of eternal life. One of the great things that made Jesus unique was his words, his speaking, his voice. They were the words of eternal life. There's only one Good shepherd who leads us in the way of life, who can lead us to heaven, and that is Jesus. This is how we continue to distinguish Jesus Christ from others today. We don't see his miracles. We don't see him in the flesh. We don't see his face, but we still have his word, and we still hear his voice. That's why it says in verse 16, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. When did Jesus start speaking to the Gentiles? He spoke to maybe a couple Gentiles while he was on earth, but usually his speaking to the Gentiles, when we look at it, it happened after he died, after he resurrected, after he went into heaven, after he spoke to the Gentiles through the Apostle John and through the Apostle Paul, uh, through his ministers, through us, he continues to speak to us even today. Jesus speaks to us who are, are Gentiles. That's why he has us who will hear his voice, it says. Those who did not hear his voice coming from him while he was on earth still hear his voice even though he's in heaven. Thirdly, yet we also know him by his cross and appreciate him, love him for it, as we know it is for us that he died. This also distinguishes him in our eyes. He says at the last part of verse 15, 15b, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating that fact that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. The cross distinguishes him for us and us from a lost world that does not know or appreciate what Christ did on the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. An ungodly world doesn't understand why Christ would have to die for their little nothing sins is the way I've heard it said by people. I didn't do that much. There's no reason that Christ would have to die for my little sins. It's only when we understand how great our sins are and how terrible they were in God's eyes that we understand 
Christ needed to come and die for us and there was no other solution. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Those who have God's spirit, his sheep, those who love him, those who understand him, those who understand his cross, see how beautiful it is in what he did for us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul starts in in 2, verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he writes in verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. When we read those two verses, we have to remember the context The context for chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 2, verse 9, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross is the things that the worldly eyes cannot see. Uh, They don't enter the heart, how wonderful it is. Uh, These things are prepared uh, for us who love him. We have been enabled, they've been revealed to us. We understand the cross because the Holy Spirit has made it real to us. We see the love of God in what Christ did on the cross. God's spirit reveals to us the deep things of God. And the cross is one of those. The cross is the context of that verse. God's spirit brings to us or brings about the new birth. And unless a person is born again, he cannot see God's kingdom, as it says, John 3, 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That person who's not born again does not appreciate, he thinks the cross is foolishness, he thinks it wasn't necessary, but those who are born again, they not only realize how important what Christ did for us is, but they appreciate it more and more. I think one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper, why God has commanded us to do this, is because as we do, we should be growing in appreciation for what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. We see some of this appreciation in Revelation chapter 5, when it says, and they sang a new song, uh, saying, Really knowing what Christ did inspired God's redeemed to sing a new song. They are singing in heaven. Who are they singing to? They're singing to the lamb who was slain. They appreciate his work on the cross. We sing about all sorts of crazy things. Uh, the love we might have for a girl or a man or, or even getting drunk. There's songs about that. There's songs about everything. And we sing them in different ways. Sometimes we're sad, sometimes we're happy. But the cross of Christ is worthy of our best songs. They sang a new song saying, and then the rest of verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And why is he worried? Because in verse 9 again, for you were slain. You died for us and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Better than 
a home run in the World Series that everybody jumps up and, yay, that guy hit a ball out of a park with a stick. Does it do anything for you when that happens? Does it save you from eternity in hell? No, but people still jump up. They're still excited about it. When Jesus died on the cross, he saved us from an eternity in hell's fire. And he, he saved us too, an eternity with God where we have pleasures forevermore. That's way bigger than a home run in the World Series. That's why God's people stand up and they praise him. They sing this new song. It says, because of your, his death, what was accomplished, they were redeemed and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, meaning not just Jews, but every tribe, tongue, people, and nation he redeemed. And because of uh, his work, he made us uh, Revelation 5, 9, and 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We reign on the earth because Christ died for us. He's made us new people. Uh, we reign when we walk morally, when we walk righteously. The worthiness of Christ's sacrifice, his great deed, his dying for us and saving us from sin, sin will be acknowledged in heaven and is acknowledged by multitudes in heaven. It says in verse 11, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10,000s and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All of this for the Lamb. Why? Because he died for our sins. He's worthy of these thousands of creatures. He says, it says in verse 13, and every creature was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such that are in the sea, meaning fish maybe, an octopus, and all that are in them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb forever and ever. That praise will be an eternal praise, always, because Christ is worthy of it. It says, then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Point number four. Christ ultimately brings us into his eternal relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. When we see this brought here, it's interesting. Jesus talks about uh, knowing us as his sheep, and he knows us in this perfect, loving way. And then he talks about the sheep knowing him, and, and we know him, and we appreciate him for what he does. And then he goes on and he says, as the Father knows me, even I know the Father. And we are brought into this family knowing Christ and knowing also God the Father. It's interesting, Paul, in Ephesians 3 you know, at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about the temple and he's saying, we are the temple. Meaning, and he refers to Gentiles being brought in to the temple as living stones, just like the Jews. And then he's praying in verse 14 to dedicate the temple. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, we're not just a temple, we're a family, 
in heaven and earth is named. We're named after God the Father. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his, of his glory, to be strengthened with might through the spirit in his inner man, that you, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, uh, may be able to comprehend, and comprehend can be, you know, that could be know, that you might know with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We are the temple that will be filled with all the fullness of God. He dwells not only with us, but in us. And it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And that's it, isn't it? God dwelling in us and with us. That's us exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Whatever we pray, we can't pray a bigger prayer than that. And he says, according to the power that works in us, that is God's power, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's review quickly. We are the family of God. Verse 15. We need strengthening in the inner man. You know, God strengthens us so that we might be ready to receive him. That Christ may dwell in our hearts. You know, we grow to that point where Christ is dwelling in our hearts. And why do we dwell? Why does he dwell in us? That we would know his love and be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a step by step. We grow into this where we can be filled with God's spirit. But that's what we are as a church. And that's why Christ redeemed us. He redeemed us so that we could be those people who have this wonderful relationship with God, this intimate relationship with God, where we are his people and he is our God. Uh, we are his temple. He dwells in us. We are also called his bride. And Christ is our, our husband. To whom? To God who does these things be glory. The Lord's Supper is one of our covenant signs. Like a wedding ring, it symbolizes uh, the unity between a man and his wife. Uh, so the Lord's Supper symbolizes our union with Christ and with God and with each other. And that's what we celebrate today. This union that we grow into, that we learn more and more about. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son our good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, he was a Savior, not just a shepherd, uh, who was willing to die for us uh, who are his sheep. And Father, as sheep we hear his voice, as sheep we follow him, as sheep we know that he's the only way to eternal life. And that ultimately anything that is good that we have it comes from you and from him. And you're the one that leads us in the way everlasting. We pray that you might help us to worship you. We pray that you might help us to honor you. We pray you'd help us to, to be yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.